Welcome to the Issues of Life podcast with Adam Davis, where each week we answer your biggest questions, offer a biblical perspective on the issues that matter most, and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Hello and welcome to the Issues of Life podcast. This is our third episode in our series on worship, and we've really been having an interesting discussion concerning what biblical worship is, what it isn't, and if there is a right and a wrong way to worship. And before we get into our specific discussion for today, I wanted to talk about something that is going on right now in the world of Christianity that's really quite interesting and relates to some of the questions we've been asking as far as worship is concerned. And that is Kanye and his new gospel album called Jesus is King. And I'm sure that the majority of you listening have already heard about this because it's kind of taken over social media. I'm a member of several different um, youth ministry discussion boards and things like that on Facebook. And literally for a couple of weeks, that's all that they talked about. Is Kanye's profession of faith legitimate? Is the music worthwhile? Should we listen to it in our youth groups? Things like that. And so a lot of Christian voices have been speculating about whether this is the real deal. And that's an interesting topic in and of itself. Um, there have been a lot of people who have been kind of cynical about whether or not he's he's really genuinely born again. Because, I mean, obviously it is, it's a shocking thing for someone to make such an incredible transformation. But if we stop and think about it, isn't that just exactly what the gospel is all about? And isn't this the sort of thing that we, that we pray for, that God would transform the lives of of people so radically like this, especially people who have the opportunity to impact, I mean, huge audiences of people. So obviously we're going to watch and see what goes on, but I don't think it's right for us to be cynical of, of his profession of faith. I feel like we should pray for him and, 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 you know, cheer him on, uh, as far as that's concerned, because like it or not, and if you're in the not category, I think you might have some issues to deal with. God is using him to expose vast amounts of people to the gospel that maybe otherwise never would have paid any attention to it because of the following that he already had. But how does this relate to the discussion of worship? Some people are arguing, you know, whether or not the music that Kanye has produced in this new album is legitimate Christian music or legitimate worship music, and should it be used, you know, in our churches or in our youth group worship times? Uh, or even personally. And I think this relates to the question that we've been asking about whether there's a right and wrong way to worship. And we also have to be careful with this not to evaluate it based on the the genre itself. Um, right. We have to go back to the words, which we talked about, the content of the worship, the words of the songs. That's a really important aspect that we're trying to look at. Yeah. And some people have even criticized the you know the words because they talk about how simplistic it is and kind of silly some of the uh, the lyrics are but we've we've actually talked about this before um, you and I have and we yeah. related it to the idea of you know an, a new Christian trying to find ways to express themselves when when we first get saved we don't have all the buzzwords and terminology that experienced Christians use so we might sound foolish you know we probably sounded foolish when we first tried to put into words what we felt I think Kanye is probably in that same position right now. Yeah, 
I, I think we're getting a very unique perspective from an experienced mu- musician um, who has done all of this before, you know, writing songs and writing lyrics. And now he's trying to express his faith in a way that, that he understands, that he can relate to. Um, so I think it's kind of unique, you know. Now, I haven't listened to his music at all, actually. No, I haven't listened to it except for a few excerpts here and there. I've read the lyrics mm-hmm. um, because that's where a lot of the controversy was. And I think we can't reject the music based on the, the content because the content is not wrong. Is it simplistic? Yes, but I think we've already explained why there's good reason for that. Now, when it comes to the genre of music, there are there's a whole other you know, group of people that would reject it based on the fact that it's rap. Now, I'm going to be totally transparent with you. Um, I don't like rap. And in fact, I have gone so far in the past, Zach has probably heard me say, <laughs> I, I don't even consider rap to be music. And that's how strongly I feel about it as a genre is concerned. Someone just stopped listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure I lost someone there. But hey, I'm, I'm going to be big enough here to admit that that's my preference. I do not prefer that genre. It does nothing for me, and I have been hesitant to uh, have anything to do with it, to endorse it, to talk about using it in in public worship, especially because there have been certain connotations and associations that go along with rap music um, that I think are difficult to overcome. But I have to acknowledge that is my preference. And so when someone decides to listen to that themselves and someone can can claim that they are legitimately edified by that music and that they legitimately worship the Lord using that music, I'm not going to be the one to say that's not true. Because, again, it's not about the genre. And it's not about the instrumentation. Uh, it's about the heart of it. The heart of the person listening yeah, and the heart of the person actually doing the expressing. So I think this... I think this is interesting because, you know, it's unfolding right before our eyes, but it brings front and center this debate in a, in a real way. People are having to come to terms. Is Kanye's music a legitimate expression of worship? Based on everything that I can see, for him, I would have to say that it is. But that's, that's not necessarily to say that I'm going to use that in church next time I get the opportunity. Because yeah. that's not my preference, and I think it's not the preference of the majority of the people in the context where I worship. And so it wouldn't actually be effective there. I was really curious to see what you said, because we were talking about this before we started recording. And you mentioned, you know, that you were going to bring up the question, is his, his, is his music worship? And I was going to say the same thing that especially for him, if we, if we were going very, we're going to take a direct path to the source of this music. I think this is an expression of worship for Kanye. And like you said, there are people who, again, if your heart is right and the content itself is pure and God-honoring, then they can worship with that music. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think I think you could see his music as as worship. Yes. And I think we've got to be really careful about this. I think this is teaching us an important lesson that you know it's not our place necessarily to tell people that how they prefer to worship personally and privately is or isn't worship. That's not our place to do that. Um, now, as someone who um, who deals a lot with corporate worship, and I've even taught, you know, philosophy of church music and things like that, there is a difference in private worship and public worship. There's reasons why some of the things we we might prefer to listen to ourselves we wouldn't do in church. 
And that's not some kind of double standard. That's just using common sense. But I think we've got to be careful. And this this issue with Kanye is teaching us that lesson. We we can't go around telling people that's not worship. You're not worshiping or saying this is right and that's wrong because it's just not as black and white as all that. Yeah, I agree. So today's topic is dealing with um, some what I have called forgotten words when it comes to worship. So we've talked about the fact that worship's a big debate. That's obvious. Um, But there are some things that unfold to us as we read the Bible concerning worship that I think we've forgotten. And they need to be kind of the central focus of this discussion. And I think we're uh, introduced to those concepts in one particular account in Scripture. Uh, And so I think it's interesting. And Zach's going to read the account that I'm speaking of. It's in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the Lord. And so listen closely to to what happens, and then we'll draw some some helpful principles from this. So in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain did he fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. So three words I want to bring out here that kind of uh, represent these specific principles I think we should be mindful of when thinking about worship. The first of those words is holiness. And when I talk about holiness, I'm talking about a proper view of God. And there's some more verses that I want to read. Um, First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29 is kind of the first place we find this wording that gets repeated in other places. But it says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. If you were to look at Psalm 29 and verse 2, Psalm 96 and verse 9, you'd find the same kind of wording in those passages as well. So we see there's a very specific connection between worshiping God and his holiness and understanding that he is holy. And I think that leads us to this idea that what we believe, this is what we talked about last week, by the way, we introduced this, what we believe about God, what we know about the nature of God does impact the way that we worship him. And so knowing that God is holy, uh, as is emphasized here, should have some impact on the way that we worship. So what what would those implications be? That's what we want to try to figure out. Now, 
holiness is interesting because out of all of God's attributes, it seems to be one of the more emphasized ones based on the fact that it gets repeated the way it does, like in Isaiah 6, and we find it in other places throughout Scripture, uh, three times, holy, 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 um, which some say is just a way of emphasis. And of course, I think it's also related to the fact that there are three persons of the Godhead, all of whom are obviously holy. So if holiness is so important to God, then it should obviously be important to us. But the question we want to ask is, how do we worship God in the beauty of holiness? Any ideas? Well, because they're directly connected, it seems that whenever people in the Bible came to worship God, his holiness was paramount. It, it was something that is constantly addressed. Um, I feel like, in essence, that has to be the center of, of our worship. And, and by that, I mean our perspective while we worship, but then also the content of our worship. So I think, I think it, it could imply that our worship needs to express that, express that attribute of him. But I think maybe to get more poignant, our hearts and our minds have to be in a state where we are, we are dwelling, we're thinking, we're meditating on this concept that God is holy. And, and, and that's going to have a lot of implications, I think, on the way that we carry ourselves, on the way that we actually worship him. If we are focused on his holiness, that's going to, that's going to affect the way we worship, when we talk, when we pray, when we sing. Yeah, I mean, it certainly impacted Isaiah. I mean, when he saw the Lord and heard the chanting of holy, 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 it immediately changed the way he saw God and saw himself. Um, I think when we think about holiness, it's all, it's, you know, it's this idea of absolute perfection, the idea that God is completely separate from us. Obviously, we also know that he is interested in us, involved with us, and has reached down to us. But in his essence, he's completely separate from us in his perfection, in his holiness. Um, so I think some of the practical implications we could take from, from the holiness of God as far as our worship is that it should be our very best. What we offer God should be the very best we have to offer, knowing that he's absolutely perfect. And it doesn't mean that our worship is going to be perfect or that anything we do is going to be perfect but it should be our very best. But then I think it brings us to the idea of separation or which is one of the real aspects of the idea of holiness. So how can our worship be separated or holy? This is where some people are going to jump right into some of the false definitions of worship again. They're going to start defining certain types of worship, certain instruments as holy and, and unholy. And I think that's a mistake. I don't think holy music or separated music has so much to do with the genre or the instrumentation. I don't see any basis in scripture for ruling out specific instruments, as some people do. In fact, if you read through the Psalms, you'll find every kind of instrument represented, though they would have been, you know, different instruments in that time. All the categories are there. And I don't see anything in scripture specifically that we could outlaw you know, certain genres and say those are unholy. Sometimes when we get to this idea of separation, you know, we, we start drawing lines that just aren't there. They're not in the Bible. And so how do we defend these kinds of things? And 
and we start arguing, you know, association. This music's associated with this. Well, associations change over time. That's not a strong enough argument. Or this instrument's associated with this. That's why, by the way, when, when we first started having music in church, they wouldn't allow any instruments. Imagine if that's the way it was still today. <laughs> in fact, they wouldn't even allow harmony because harmony was considered improper in the beginning. Imagine if that was still the way we did church today. Everyone sings unison a cappella. That's not very impactful, I don't think. I wonder if everyone would stay in key. Yeah. I mean, maybe they were far more skilled than we are nowadays. But <laughs> So finally, you know, they started letting uh, harmony, and then they let the organ come in because the organ was kind of a new creation. It wasn't associated with anything. But pianos weren't allowed because of their association. And all through church history, we've had these issues. For a while, you couldn't use microphones because of their association, and every instrument had some specific association. I don't think that's what we're supposed to be arguing over. In fact, if I could put it as plainly as possible, I don't think the idea of holiness when it comes to our worship has anything to do with the genre and the instrumentation so much as it does the human instrument. That is the one who's offering it. Right. And what was, what was Isaiah so concerned about? As soon as he saw the Lord, what did he say? Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm unclean. He was concerned about himself. And that's where our focus ought to be too. Which brings us to the second word. So holiness is a proper view of God. Humility is a proper view of self. And I think Isaiah's reaction is perfect. And any real, genuine response of worship is based on the understanding that we are not worthy. That's exactly what Isaiah said. I shouldn't be here. And I think if that's the heart of it, then uh, we're not going to be so much focused on, oh no, what instrument am I playing? And what genre of music am I incorporating? It's going to be, am I worshiping with the right heart and with the right attitude? It's all about a proper view of ourselves. There's one more word, and that is honor. So if holiness is a proper view of God and humility is a proper view of self, then honor is going to be a proper response. I don't think we have to spend too long here because we talked about this last week especially. You know, what is the right way to worship God? And the conclusion we came to was that it matters most your own heart and where it's coming from. For Isaiah, the proper response was to seek cleansing, um, but also to bow down. And we see that a lot in scripture. And then also he submitted himself to whatever the Lord would have him to do. That was his response. He didn't even have a musical expression. <laughs> um, his was just uh, a complete submission of himself to God. I think these three words give us a great template to take with us as we go to to um, worship God. As we look at songs that we use, as we look at the, the, the times and moments in our life when we, when we want to worship God, I think we should have these three things in our mind. First, the song that we are listening to, the song that we are singing ourselves, or the other expressions of worship that we have, is it giving me the proper view of God and who He is? And then is it, is it also giving me the proper perspective on who I am in light of that? And finally, is it actually bringing out of me the proper response I think sometimes you may be able to find a song where it's not really about God. It's not really about your need for him. It's not really about 
uh, what he has done or his holiness, his attributes. You'll find a song every once in a while that doesn't actually fit into this into this model, you could say, of worship. It doesn't give you the right perspective of who he is. It doesn't give you the right perspective of who you are. Maybe it focuses too much on you and not on who he is. And it may not even bring out this correct response, which is honor. Looking to him, glorifying him for his mercy, for his grace. Um, Because, as we already said, when we get the right perspective of who God is and the right perspective of who we are, we're probably going to respond the way that Isaiah did. Woe is me. I am undone. I am unclean. I am such a, a terrible sinner. But God is so perfect. Man, there's a great divide between me and him. And he has bridged that gap through the blood of Jesus Christ so that I can have a relationship with him. May I glorify him because of that. If a song doesn't bring you to that conclusion... If a prayer doesn't reflect that conclusion, then I think you should evaluate how you're worshiping God. Look for those songs um, that, that instigate that spirit of worship. Because again, we're going back to the heart of worship. I just quoted a song. But that really is the whole point of us worshiping God is the human instrument, our heart. What is our perspective? What is our goal? Are we honoring God? Or are we just singing songs? And I'm really glad that you mentioned it um, as as being a template, because really that's what we want this discussion to be and this podcast to be in reality. Uh, we don't want to just spend our time telling you this is what you should do and shouldn't do. Or specifically when it comes to uh, the issue of worship, these are the songs you can listen to, these are the songs you can't listen to. That's not what we want to do, and that's not even helpful. But we want you to be able to think through these things for yourself and come to these conclusions. We understand a lot of these things are going to be subjective and there's going to be some preference involved. But what we've presented is the truth as scripture makes it plain. And we should be willing to evaluate our own worship based on these truths. So we hope that this will help you as you worship both on your own listening to music in your car, in your own devotional time, and when you're singing together with the body of Christ. Just be more intentional, more thoughtful about your worship. I hope you have benefited to some degree from this discussion of worship. I think it's been uh, really interesting and something that a lot of people spend too much time arguing about. So we hope that this has just been a simple conversational way to deal with some of these really important issues. And we look forward to dealing with more things that directly impact you and your walk with Christ in the days and weeks to come. 